Welcome to the law firm of Davis and Davis. We're not a real law firm. Go ahead, grab a beer, a glass of wine, sit back and listen. and I are here to welcome you back to part two. Welcome back. Where the hell is Clarksville? <laughs> uh, there's one in Arkansas. One in I'm sure there's Texas. a mess of them, man. What are you talking about? One in Tennessee. Huh. Probably one in every state. What are you talking about? How many? I, I got. I got to. I, I want to wrap up the Kirshner thing here. 
This is a paragraph at the very end of this website talking about Kersher. Okay, so it would seem in the end in the history of the monkeys that Don Kersher is simultaneously a hero and a villain. He did get Bob Raffleson and Burt Schneider songs when they needed them. He did generate hits for the monkeys. At the same time, however, he kept the monkeys from playing their own instruments, did not allow them to say in the songs, have any say in the songs that they would perform, much less the ones that would be released as singles, and even released a single in violation of the rule that the monkeys could, could select the B-side. He may have also used reprehensible means to get a greater share of royalties from the monkey songs for himself. The fact that Raybert Productions needed someone with the connections of Don Kirshner is unavoidable. The possibility that Don Kirshner may have actually hurt the monkeys more than he helped them seems likely. In the end, Kirshner was not something so simple as the silent movie serial villain that the monkeys fans often made him out to be, but something a bit more complex. So, yeah, he was a almost like a necessary evil back in the day. So anyway, that's all we got to say about that. Thank um, you. Now the monkeys mobile. Do you remember that car? Yes. I also know who made it. Dean Jeffries. You know what else he made? Do tell. He made a big honking tri wheeled monstrosity called the landmaster for the 1977 movie damnation alley and it's a badass looking all-terrain tanky kind of thing and he also did the car for oh not the the, the oh my god what was that spinoff from batman that, that had kato and, and uh, bruce lee was in it the Green Hornet. He made the Green Hornet mobile originally. But he made this badass GTO, the Monkeys mobile. And it was this like long limo ish convertible, had the blower sticking out the hood and the exhaust and back of the front wheels. It red. It was cool looking, man. <laughs> so, anyway, you got a little bit to talk about the. TV show. So the TV show, which started in 1966 and ran all the way till I think it was 1970. Uh, no, it was only a couple seasons. It was 66 yeah. and 67, wasn't it? 66, 67, 68. Oh, okay. Um, Raffleson, who we talked about earlier, actually directed a bunch of the television shows, but he also directed all the movies that they did. Um, they ended up stopping the television show and started making movies uh, because it was easier to build a monkey's movie It was easier to, with the touring schedule, to make movies rather than 
full-fledged episodes of the television show. Gotcha. Now, they only the, did the one, didn't they? Well, according to this Raffleson, I was just reading this real quick, and it's the film conceived and edited in a stream of consciousness style featured oddball cameo appearances by movie star Victor Mature, Annette Funicello. Oh, yeah. Terry Garr, Sonny Liston, Frank Zappa, stripper Carol Doda, <laughs> Green Bay Packers linebacker Ray Nitsky, Frank Zappa. Um, yeah, and that was it. Uh, and it was filmed on location in California, Utah, and the Bahamas. It was called Head. Very interesting movie. If you ever get the chance, go go watch it. Now, apparently, um, Frank Zappa was a big fan of the monkeys, and he showed up on one of the episodes too. Uh, yes. Him and Tim Tim Buckley both appeared on the series. Tim Buckley and Charlie Small. Oh, Charlie Smalls, who was the composer for The Wiz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um anyways the the TV show was was almost like a variety show in a way but it was a variety show with a storyline. Yeah, it it was a, it was usually centered around them having to play a gig somewhere and stuff would happen to get in their way craziness would ensue. They'd, get, they'd have no food. It was there was no like, way to get to the show whatever the landlord was kicking them out yeah it was it was it was kind of like yeah i i can't it is a really hard show to explain you have to kind of experience it um now that yeah you, you just have to go and watch one um actually watch a couple uh the downfall of the television series was with all the problems that were happening with Kirshner, mm-hmm. music was not being produced enough to keep doing shows after show after show. So they started reusing songs. Oh, yeah. And that was really the downfall of the television show. Now, that was not the end of the monkeys. They, well, they were touring too they and it, toured and stayed together all the way till 1971 yeah <laughs> now the one thing i did not talk about and forgive me because literally peter tork and michael nesmith hated the kirshner regime so much that they wanted their freedom to do what they wanted to do they paid each of them around $160,000 to get out of their contract. Now, that's 1967 or 1968 money. That's damn near a million dollars today, like a million and a half dollars to get out of their contracts. So they could play their own music. They could play their own. They could do what they wanted to do. And it was, it was pretty, 
pretty significant back then. I mean, that's well, that's a it, lot of dough. Okay, I I'm not trying to correct you here, but I'm going to correct you on this. No, go ahead. Peter Tork citing exhaustion quit by buying out the last four years of his monkey's contract at $150,000 a year. He paid four years. That was a half a million dollars to get out of his contract. Now, he wasn't the only one that did this because Mickey Dolenz and Mike Nesmith did the exact same thing. And all of this was to get away from the iron fist of Kirshner, which is sad, um, but I, I I can totally understand it. They had yeah. no creative control. I mean, when they had when they got their royalty checks of two hundred fifty thousand dollars a piece and. Uh, was it Peter Tork that punched the hole in the wall? No, it was Nesmith. That was Nesmith. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it, the the comment after that said they took their checks. So what I'm going <laughs> to do is piss and moan like an impotent jerk and then bend over and take it up the tailpipe. Because that's what Kirshner was doing to them the entire yeah. time. They had well, It was funny because like, I, I remember watching an interview with Tork and he's like, yeah, you know, they they sh- he showed up for recording, thinking it was going to be the four of them recording music, and he had his instruments, and he was all ready to go. And they're like, "Oh no, the music's already written." And he's like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, we just need your voice." He's like, "Oh, okay." I mean, it was really disjointed kind of thing for him. He was a music. He was a real musician. He's like, "I'm going to bring my music and play it." And you know, so yeah, it was. It was a weird, it was a weird gig. And then back in the sixties, it was, you know, this, this stuff was in its infancy. They were making it up as they went. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is what it is. We, we got some really great music out of it. We got some fun times. They got out of it. They, you know, but anyway. Wow. We don't um, have to talk about Kersher no more. Equal. Yeah. Equal. Okay. I just saw the stat. Um, when, Torque bought himself out of the contract at a half a million dollars, uh, $150,000 per year for a four-year contract. Um, that is equal today to him paying $1.2 million a year. Yeah, it was a big, big dollar amount. That's a huge deal. Um and and like I said, you can't blame them. You can't blame any of them. Yeah, yeah. The bad news is when you get paid royalties on a TV show, every time it gets shown, you get a little bit less and less and less and less. If their music comes back, however, they get paid full price for every time an album is sold. For some odd reason, and I was watching a David Letterman interview with Torque he said for some odd reason the four albums started charting in japan in like the 80s and all of a sudden he's getting buku bucks because it's the albums he's getting full commission off the albums and everything's like 
such a weird you know, it's japan they're into tentacles and shit but you know they they get hooked on something they roll with it so good for them well there was a lot of things that happened in the 80s the revival of the monkeys television show on mtv yes yeah we'll get into the whole mtv connection here a little bit later on too but yeah yeah we'll we'll talk about that that in a bit i got the whole nesma thing going on so so uh where should we go from here do you want to talk about one of your guys could we split it up but i'm talking about torque and nesmith you're talking about dolan's and jones so who do you want to start with i'm going to start with davy jones okay um, davy jones born december december 30th 1945 guess where he was born uh england Manchester, England. Manchester, England, England. That's right. Scott is a Manchester City fan, so <laughs> this all works in together. Uh, he was born to a... I just had it. David Thomas Jones was born <laughs> to <laughs> Harry and Doris Jones. He has three sisters, Hazel, Linda, and Beryl. Beryl? B-E-R-Y-L. Beryl. Don't, uh, don't ask. Joan's mother died from emphysema when he was 14 years old. Oh, cheers. Oh, wow. He uh, started his television acting debut in 1961 on one of the largest British soap operas out there called Coronation Street. Oh, God, I, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he appeared as Colin Lomax, grandson to the regular character Ina Sharples, for one episode on 6 March 1961. Now, we talked earlier, well, Burke and I did. I don't think we talked to the to the audience about this. The studio audience. He was not only a television actor, but he was a stage actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he starred uh, the, 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 he was going to be a jockey. He was the Artful Dodger in uh, Oliver. Artful Dodger in a production of Oliver in London's West End. So, yeah, he... Uh, now, the, the movie that most people have seen of Oliver, that kid who played the Artful Dodger ended up on H.R. Puffin Stuff. Yeah, which was another trippy time in the seventies, but yeah, now, we won't go there. Now, now here, here is, I I totally got lost in my notes, and I apologize for that. <laughs> um, here it is, right here. He was trying to become a racing horse jockey. Oh, with his oh god, yeah, with his build, absolutely, and. Jones rejected many acting jobs in to to pursue to pursue this career. 
Uh, he apprentice. He had an apprenticeship with New Market trainer Basil Foster. The Oliver job. Yeah. Guess who got him that? Who? Basil Foster. <laughs> Is it Basil? It's Basil. <laughs> um, yeah. Even though Foster believed Jones would be a successful jockey, he encouraged his young protege to take the role as the artful Dodger in Oliver. During the casting for the musical, Foster talked to the director and said, I've got the kid. (laughs) He was probably full of piss and vinegar way back then, so... He played Perfect the role. In, he played the role in London, and then went to Broadway. Nice, and was nominated for a Tony Award. Very nice. So he had some acting chops back in the day. He definitely had some acting chops. On February ninth, nineteen sixty four, Jones appeared. On the Ed Sullivan show with Georgia Brown, who was playing Nancy in the Broadway production of Oliver. This was the same episode of the show in which the Beatles made their first appearance. He had no clue about them, did he? Nope. I watched the Beatles from the side of the stage. I saw the girls going crazy, and I said to myself, this is it. I want a piece of that. I want to make girls scream. <laughs> yeah, I and, read that little bit. Yeah, I was like, what? You didn't know who the Beatles were and you were in England? He he uh he did. He did though. He had the look, he had everything. Um but from from that, from the Ed Sullivan show, he actually uh got signed to a label to sing. Uh, Jones debuted on the Billboard Hot 100 in the week of uh, August 14th, 1965 with the single, What Are We Going to Do? Which peaked at number 93. He was 19 years old. Oh, wow. (laughs) To be charting at 19. I mean, that's kind of like Def Leppard. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yes. From 1966 to 1970, Jones was a member of the Monkees. And uh, he was a part of number one hits like Daydream Believer, um, several others. In Peter Tork's commentary, he stated that Jones was a good drummer and had the live performance lineups been based solely on playing ability, it would have been Davy Jones on drums. Now, after the monkeys, I've actually got, I've got the same actual quote talking about uh, Peter Torque. He said, what do you say? It should have been him on guitar, Nesmith on bass, Jones on drums, and Dolan's taking the fronting role. Instead, it was Nesmith on guitar, Torque on bass, Dolan's on drums. Then Jones filled in briefly for Torque on bass when he played the keyboard. Yeah. Um, 
Bell Records, then having a string of hits with the Partridge family, signed Jones to a somewhat inflexible solo career contract. Uh, which started in 1971 after the monkeys had dispersed. Uh, Jones was not allowed to pick his songs or producers, resulting in several lackluster and aimless records. His second solo album, Davy Jones, was notable for the song Rainy Jane, which reached 52 on the charts. That was never the, heard of it. That was the only song of his. That oh, wow. charted in his singles career. 1972, Dolan's, Jones, Boyce, and Hart. And what this was, was a, it was a monkey's reunion. Hmm. Minus Peter Tork and Mike Nesmith. And uh, Mickey Dolan's went to... Davy Jones when reruns of uh the monkeys started to started to make noise again in in the 70s and uh so Bell Records which was owned by guess who for sure Screen Gems <laughs> uh they they signed them to another record contract from 1975 to 1977, and they did songs with Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart <laughs> uh, instead of uh, Nesmith and uh, Torque, um, who were off doing kind of their own thing, yep. you know. Um, later in the 70s, this gets exciting. <laughs> Do you remember Maureen McCormick? That's uh, the Brady Bunch, isn't it? Yes, sir. Mr. Mr. Davy Jones made several appearances on several shows as cameos. That's right. And Davy Jones... Dated himself. Oh, he dated her. Really? Well, not for real. Oh, okay. On on the television show, they. Okay, okay, okay. But yes, Maureen McCormick was uh, uh, Jan. No, uh, no, the the Marsha, 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 Marsha. Jones returned to the theater actually in 1977. What do you do? He performed with former bandmate Mickey Dolenz in the stage production of Harry Nielsen's musical The Point. Well, Harry Nielsen had written some of their music originally. Yes. Uh, the starring role of Oblio went to Mickey Dolenz and uh Yeah. Jones. Anyways, Jones and Dolan's literally after this point became kind of inseparable. Um, they did 
everything together. They would do reunion tours, different stuff like that together because Peter Tork and Nesmith. They had other stuff going on. They had other obligations. They had other stuff going on. There was a little bit of a tiff at one point in time. Uh, Tork had some alcohol problems later in life, too. So I was going to say it was Peter Tork who who Nesmith and and Torque were both asked to come back into the group. Mm-hmm. And Torque was the last one to come back. Uh but a, to no avail it was not anything to do with with Dolan's or Davy. Yeah. It was it was timing. It was there was a lot of stuff going on. There was a I mean, Nesmith had some obligations at one point. And he, I remember and and I'm doing this off the top of my head. He said, "Yeah, if you guys are in L.A., I will come play with you because I, I have obligations. I have to be in L.A. right now." So there was freaking uh, I think whiteout that had like, to be made. I think Torque was was heavy in his alcoholism at that point, if I recall. I do believe so. Yeah. Um, after the Monkees disbanded in 1970, Jones kept himself busy by establishing a New York City-style street market in Los Angeles called The Street, which cost approximately $40,000. He was also collaborating with musical director Doug Trevor, on a one-hour ABC television special entitled Pop Goes Davy Jones, which <laughs> featured new artists, the Jackson 5, oh, and the Osmonds. <laughs> Little known bands. Jones was married three times, had four children, uh, and he married Dixie Linda Haynes with whom he had been living with. The relationship had been kept out of the public eyes until after the birth of their first child in 1968. They didn't want anyone to know that Davy Jones was married. Was unavailable. Yeah. Tiger Beat would be so upset. Oh, so much so. The marriage (laughs) ended in 1975. Um, Jones married his second wife, Anita Pollinger, in 1981, and also has two daughters with her. Jessica Lillian Jones and Annabelle Charlotte Jones. The couple divorced in 1996 during a a monkey's tour. (laughs) Jones then married Jessica Pacheco. Lord, man. Uh, Jones and his wife appeared on the Dr. Phil show in April, <laughs> 2011. That can't be good. Uh, no, Pacheco filed for divorce in, in Miami, Dade, Florida, but dropped wow. the suit in October. They were still married when he died in, uh, February, 2012. Wow. Um, on the morning of February 29th, 2012, Jones went to tend to his 14 horses at his farm in Indian Town, Florida. After riding one of his 
favorite horses around the track. He complained of chest pains and difficulty breathing. He was given antacids. He got in his car to go home just after 8 a.m. A ranch hand found him unconscious on the ranch, and an ambulance was called, but he could not be revived. Wow. Died of a heart attack uh, at age 66. Um, That's all I have for Mr. Davy Jones. Yeah, that's like nine years away from me. Fuck. (laughs) So I thought. Uh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say this, the news of, of Davy Jones's death triggered a huge surge in sales of monkeys albums. Yeah. Um, guitarist Mike Nesmith stated that Jones spirit and soul lives well in my heart among all the lovely people who remembered with me the good times and the healing times. It, it, it was, well, God, I think I even got tore up when David oh, Jones yeah. died. Uh, now he was the first one to pass away. So we were all like, Oh crap. Yeah. We're getting old. Yeah. Hopefully we don't die before 59 days in one hour. I know, right? Yeah, that's putting me. So uh, I will talk about uh, Peter Torque now. Okay. And unfortunately, he was the next one to pass away. Uh, his full name is Peter Houston Thorkelson. Uh, born February 13th, 1942. Better known by his stage name of Peter Torque actor musician and actor grew up in connecticut in the 60s he was part of the greenwich village folk scene in new york city he befriended musician stephen stills i I was actually watching another thing where he literally heard something on high that said get out of here and he's like what Maybe he was high and heard somebody yelling from a window. I don't know. But he decided to go to Los Angeles. Uh, He moved there with Stills. Auditioned for a new musical television sitcom, The Monkees. His paternal grandfather was of Norwegian descent. His mother was half German, Jewish, and half Irish ancestry. Um, The DVD. Okay. I'm going to have to read this. The DVD release of the first season of the show contains commentary from various band members. In it, Nesma states that Torque was better at playing bass or guitar than bass. This is the whole thing we just went over about. They should have played this, this, and the other things. Yeah. Six albums were produced with the original Monkeys lineup for Reach Number One, um, two years of television and programming, trippy psychedelic movie Head. Which is considered by some to be a hit of its time. Um, the tensions, both musical and personal, were increasing in the group near the end there. Peter knew Jimi Hendrix um, and would often jam with him. Uh, he, he, he was actually big into the music scene. Like he knew Mama Cass, dated yeah. Mama Cass's sister. Uh, he played the sitar with George Harrison. Um, 
like he was out there he was a he was a a legit musician out there um yeah and then the whole thing about when he was no longer digging the whole group dynamic he pleaded exhaustion got out of his remaining four-year contract um leaving him with little income which kind of sucked in the dvd commentary for the 33 and a third revolutions per monkey tv special originally broadcast in 1969 dolan's noted nesbeth gave torque a gold watch as a going away present while engraving from the guys down at work jones noted at the time that peter's soul left us two and a half years ago he was a banjo player from greenwich village who made it as an actor and finally decided he didn't want to be a marx brother forever his heart was back in the village and that's all it's funny because i was listening to another thing all the the three other guys basically played themselves torque played the goofy buffoon tripping over crap goofy kid that was not him in real life he was actually he, he was political metaphysical spiritual he would talk deeply about some really kind of deep subjects and his character was kind of the polar opposite. So he he was the the odd man out when it came to his character. Nesmith was just playing himself, and Dolan's was playing himself, and he had to play some other person with his own name on the show, which kind of left him dissatisfied, you know. Yeah. Um, Dolan's reflected on Torque's departure, saying three of us are more or less. Three of us, yeah, three of us more or less play ourselves in the series. The odd one out is Peter Torque. Yeah. Um, now, later on in life, Torque had a pair of appearances as the role of Topanga Lawrence's father, Topanga Lawrence, and Boy Meets World. In his second appearance in 95, he joined Jones and Dolan's in season three, episode eight, Rave On although they did not appear as the monkeys. Uh, Torque was again cast as Jebediah Lawrence, while Jones was Reginald Fairfield and Dolan's characters was Gordy. The program's climax, the three took the stage together to perform a Buddy Holly song, Not Fade Away and The Temptations, My Girl. So they actually got to, three of them got to play on TV, which is kind of cool. As an inside joke, Actor David Madden, who is best known as the band manager Reuben Kincaid from the Partridge family, cameoed as a manager who appeared wanting to manage this new group, telling him they could be bigger than the Beatles. Uh, now, purportedly, both Nesmith and Patty Boyd, the former wife of Beatle George Harrison, attended the taping. Um, on March 3rd, 2009, Torque reported on his website he had been diagnosed with adenoid cystic carcinoma a rare slow growing form of head and neck cancer uh on 09 he underwent surgery on june 11th 09 spokesman for torque reported the cancer had returned torque was reportedly shaken but not stirred and the doctors had predicted an 80 percent chance of containing and shrinking the new tumor um and he was fine for a number of years after that. However, it did return in 2018 
And that is when he passed away at his home in Mansfield, Connecticut, February 21st, 2019. Eight days after his 77th birthday and a decade after his diagnosis. Now, Nesmith said of all this in an interview, and, and we might have some of this here. Um, Peter, Dork, Peter Tork died this AM. I'm told he slipped away peacefully. Yet, as I write this, my tears are awash. My heart is broken even though I'm clinging to the idea that we all continue, the pain that attends these passings has no cure. It's going to be a rough day. I share with all Monkeys fans this change, this loss. Even so, Peter will be part of me forever. I've said this before, and now it seems even more apt. The reason we called it a band is because it is where we all went to play. A band no more, and yet the music plays on. An anthem to all who made the monkeys and the TV shows our private, dare I say, secret playground. As for Pete, I can only pray that his songs reach the heights that can lift us and that our childhood lives forever. And that special sparkle, that was the monkeys. I will miss him, a brother in arms. Take flight, my brother. All right, I'll... Uh... Yeah, Nesmith later commented, it's often difficult relationship with Torque. Um, actually, I have a clip here. If you've got it lined up, that would be awesome to play that right now. Two cents. I never liked Peter and he never liked me. So we had an uneasy truce between the two of us. He was, a, he, as near as I can tell, among his peers, he was very well liked. I know, I know many liked him. But we, we barely had a civil word to say to each other. Hey, Pete, hey, man, hey, Nez, and that was it. But I was sitting there when my assistant, Melody, got the call. Peter died. <laughs> I'm going to do it now. And I broke into tears. So did you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm sorry. You know, it's like, like siblings. Do you have siblings? I do. Well, need, I say, more, need I say more? Whether you grew up with the monkeys or were raised on them, when Mickey and Mike hit the stages in Australia. So, yeah, it, it is weird because, like, you know, Nesmith and Torg did not get along, but they they were they were a group. They were all brothers. You know, you've got a sibling that you don't get along with. You got a sibling you do get along with. And it was the same with these guys. So, yeah. But anyway, that's about all I have about Pete. Now, he did have. And I watched a couple other interviews, and they're they're really fun to watch. He he has uh, he was on Letterman, and he vacillates between trying to be the goofy monkey and trying to be the intellectual Peter that he was. Um, it's kind of tough to watch sometimes, but he had he had great success with the monkeys. He had horrible uh, depression at one point. He had bad alcoholism. He beat it. I, there was a point in time where Peter Torque was playing for coins in New York in the late seventies because he was so broke, so drunk, so bad. But he got better. He got out of it. He got back with the other guys. And, you know, he showed up on TV shows and enjoyed the rest of his life immensely. It's funny too because like he's got gold albums and platinum albums from the Monkees. And they're in the back of a fucking closet. It's that's that wasn't his life. His life was how he wanted to live his life. He got heavily into like yoga and living on his parents' farm up north. 
and just really enjoying his life and until it ended in, in 19. So yeah, that's a cool dude. I can relate. <laughs> no, I can. I mean, I, I was in the entertainment industry for a long time. My, my life's not there now. Yeah. I mean, I don't have one single award of the 300 awards I've gotten up on a wall. It's, I can I can totally relate to that. when your life changes, your life changes. Yeah, go uh, with the new life. But I mean, you have to give Peter Tork a lot of accolades because his life went to shit. Um, yeah, if you were Einstein playing Screech on TV, you'd be a little pissed off. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you think about it, you look at the rest of the band Peter Tork had like the roughest road yeah he, he was the best them. musician of the whole lot possibly the smartest of the group and got to play the idiot yeah I mean, it kind of sucked now I have <laughs> I have the Letterman interview with Peter Tork is that um, the one where he dates the old lady Esther yeah yeah. <laughs> but it's 21 minutes long so i'll put a link to it on on the the thing the website um, davisdavisshow.com yeah. uh we're gonna take a little break here when we come back i actually have an interview that i'm going to play the entirety of i don't know if you guys will hear it or not but burke will because it's eight minutes long um but it's actually a really good interview that was done on CBS uh, for the for the fiftieth anniversary of yeah my of the monkeys. Um, very interesting piece. I think everyone needs to hear it. Um, Burke and I will watch it, and you can hear it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I need some music to go out on. Maestro, please. Uh, I think. Uh, I choose you. Okay. tricks that you used on me you're reading all them high fashion magazines the clothes you're wearing girl that calls in public scenes i said i'm not just stepping
you're walking around like your front page news. You've been awful careful about the friends you choose, but you won't find my name in your book of who's who. A little light trivia. You're going to talk about uh, Dolan's next, correct? Of course. Okay. A little light trivia before we get into that. Did you know 
that Star Trek characters were inspired by the monkeys? No. Specifically, Chekhov. Really? By David Jones. Yeah. Star Trek Papa Gene Roddenberry was inspired by the monkeys to create a character of Chekhov during the second season of the original Trek series. Um, they, they He wanted to keep his teenage audiences in mind and aware of current trends. He said, let's watch for a young, irreverent English accent Beatle type to try on the show, possibly with an eye of him to be a reoccurring character. So that's where Chekhov came from, was David Jones. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Any other trivia? Um, they had random guest appearances like Liberace, who ended up destroying a piano with a golden sledgehammer at a performance art piece in a museum. <laughs> like I don't remember that episode, but God, I want to watch it now. <laughs> Hell. I know, right? Liberace killing a piano. I, I, I pay good money for that. Uh, Mike Nesmith. Nah. Dolan's no. No, no. Mickey and Peter directed episodes. Yes. Of, yeah. Um, Mickey also penned the story for the series finale. Uh, Peter used his full name as the director's credit as Peter H. Thorkelson. Um, oh, I love this one. They had a black box. Did you hear about this one? No. So they, these guys got along really well to the point of it was disturbing the cast and crew and everything. They built a big black box where they could joke, jam, whatever they want to do. They had big flashing lights inside of the black box to let them know it's time to get back on set. It was like a big play pen for them, basically. God, I love that. <laughs> um, uh, you're going to talk about Dolan's. I'm going to save that in case you don't have it. I'm going to save that one. Um, oh, okay, on tour. Do you know who opened for the monkeys on tour? Do tell. Jimi Hendrix. Damn. Well, it, it, Pete knew him. Yeah, or, uh, uh, yeah. Pete knew him. Um, he opened up for like half of their first tour. Unfortunately, he wasn't very well known, and all these screaming teenagers were just screaming, "Get off the stage! We want to see the monkeys," which really kind of bummed out Hendrix. But like, like Pete loved to watch him. Like, you know, actually, a couple of the guys from the band they would they would get there early just to watch Jimi Hendrix open the show because they loved his guitar playing. So, um. So that the people know, Fonderosova, who won Wimbledon, um, <laughs> went up 32 points or 32 slots in the rankings and is now almost in the top 10. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, um, any more trivia? I do. but I'm gonna, Well, okay. Mike Nesmith. Wrote mm -hmm. the song Different Drum, which was recorded by Linda Ronstadt and the Stone Ponies and became a number one hit. Mm -hmm. This was, I think, before the Monkees, if I'm not mistaken. So I have some stuff about Mickey. I'm not going to share it because you might have it. I have some stuff about 
Peter, which I have to talk about after I talk about Nesmith. Yes. Okay. All right. So please go on and tell us about Mr. Mickey Dolans. Well, before I do that, I'm going to do this. Here we come. In the fall of 1966, four madcap musicians, a mix of the Beatles and the Marx Brothers, made their debut on American television. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys, and people say we monkey around. For the next 58 episodes, the monkeys would turn pop culture upside down. Don't you want to be famous, the idol of millions? No, we just want to be revered by a small minority. A small minority? Small minority, small minority, <laughs> like a tribe of African pygmies. Get it, pygmies, huh? Half a century uh, later. Does, does the big 5-0 mean anything really to you guys? Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to ask Thanks us a lot. Mike Nesmith, <laughs> Mickey Dolans, and Peter Tork are still yeah, monkeying right. around. Then I saw her face. The Monkees would outsell the Beatles and the Stones in 1967. Their first four albums went to number one. A made-for-TV band, they were assembled by the show's producers, Bert Schneider and Bob Rafelson, who put this ad in Variety seeking four insane boys. Mike Nesmith was playing at the Troubadour when a friend came in and said, I just saw this ad in Variety. I think you should go down and try out for it. So I did. I got the job. He went to the audition in the same knit cap he'd wear for the show. But I don't think I'm a goof. I don't think you're a goof. Right. Okay. I think I'm out of work. <laughs> I hope I get this serious. <laughs> but a goof? No, I'm not. I didn't go to the cattle call. I, I'd already had a series, you'll see. I see you're practicing to be a musician, huh? Uh-uh, drummer boy. Mickey oh, Dolans had had a lead in a show called Circus Boy. Peter Tork, a folk singer, heard about the auditions from his friend, Stephen Stills, who'd been passed over. So Steve had to settle for Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. He's never forgiven me. <laughs> what do you want me to do? I'm dance one of your little quick things. Davy Jones, a British actor who'd already had Broadway experience, completed the cast. <laughs> Did the four of you connect pretty quickly? Instantly. It was scary. There were no duds among us, yeah. uh, except me. But I, I wasn't really a dud. I played one on television. This cufflink contains a miniaturized tape recorder. If I wear two of them, can I record in stereo? <laughs> you know, Bob said to me, well, Bob Rafelson, so well, we could have hired any four guys. I said, yeah, but you didn't. You hired us four. He said, well, but any four guys could do what you're doing. I said, no, they couldn't have. Because what we are, we brought our, the force of our character to it. But the boys would butt heads with the show's music producer, Don Kirshner, who used outside session musicians to make the monkeys' first records. No, no, no. I thought they wanted me to play for them. No. I was mistaken. <laughs> um, and how did you feel about that? I was mortified. And this, they were doing Clarksville. And, and I wrote, 
a counterpoint. I had studied music and I brought it to them and they said, no, no, Peter, you don't understand. This is the record. It's all done. We don't need you. Is it true that, that Davy Jones at one point dumped a Coca-Cola on top of Don Kirshner's oh, head? Oh, it was me. It was me. You did that? It was me. Oh, he poured the Coke over his head, and I lost it. <laughs> and I think when I lost it, I think it really just made Donnie it's like, oh, no, they're laughing at me. And he's like, yes, Donnie, we are. <laughs> oh, those silly monkeys. The fictional band became such a phenomenon, fans wanted to see them live. It's like, well, yeah, now what? So the producers finally allowed them to play. And their third album, Headquarters, was entirely their own. But critics had already branded the monkeys the prefab four. It was a kind of, you guys aren't real. It's like, well, define your terms. <laughs> fake band that became a real band that wasn't really real? Well, yeah, see, now you're off in the weeds with me. Because <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to that question, and Mick doesn't know, and, and if Peter says he does, he's lying. So you felt like a band? Well, you know, it, it, it's, uh, no, yes, maybe. I've often said it's like Leonard Nimoy really becoming a Vulcan. <laughs> The series ended after just two seasons. Cross at the green, not in between. He's been out in the sun too long. He was no bargain in the shade. And the monkeys eventually went their separate ways. I've always feel blessed to be part, have been part of this, you know. Dolan's became a TV producer and director in England. Nesmith started his own band. So did Tork, who settled in Connecticut. Look who's here, the monkeys! <laughs> but reruns have kept reintroducing the monkeys to new audiences. To mark their 50th anniversary, Dolan's and Tork have headed out on tour again. And the Monkees have recorded a new album. Produced by Fountains of Wayne frontman Adam Schlesinger, a longtime fan. Schlesinger reached out to other indie rock stars who loved the band. Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie, Britain's Paul Weller and Noel Gallagher, and Weezer's Rivers Cuomo have all written songs for the new Monkees record, Good Times. It's a pretty impressive list. It's a great list, isn't it? And, and, and again, me, lucky. They say you need love to love. They also unearthed an unreleased Vintage Monkeys track that features the late Davy Jones, who died of a heart attack in 2012. David was something. His loss was completely unexpected to you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The youngest of us to go first. When you first had to go out there without Davy, how did that feel? Mickey said, well, how am I going to sing Daydream Believer? Right. And I said, well, you can't. It doesn't belong to us anymore. It belongs to them. Sing along with Davy. Yeah. 
tour? No, we're going to re-tour again next year. You are? Hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll tour until one of us drops, and then the other will go on as the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. That's everybody. awesome. And people say, I monkey around. So you better get ready. We may be coming to your town. Oh, my gosh. That wow. Awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I kind of wish I had played that first or earlier. In the show, yeah, I've like, been getting like teary eyed watching them. Like, oh god, this is bad. <laughs> uh, um, but, but it was, <clears throat> it was very interesting seeing Peter Tork getting uh, emotional about playing. I mean, yeah, oh yeah, and they're right. I mean, they dream believers totally. That Mickey's is, song. Yeah, that's his, his, his song. Nobody can sing it. You mean Davy's song? Davy, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Davy's, that's Davy's song. And just, I mean, it was interesting in, 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 to me that uh, through that interview, uh, the, uh, just hearing from Mickey Dolenz about the arguments with Kirshner and uh, hearing yeah. hearing from Peter Tork, who is a musician, the best of them. Uh, uh, well, yeah, almost arguably, yeah, the the best the best technical musician. Well, if he hadn't gotten this job, he would have been a part of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Probably, probably. <laughs> So, or some other folk group, I mean, he would have made it big regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that kind of brings us to a point where I'm going to talk about a guy who, uh, has actually, I want to say he's been the glue of the monkeys since their conception. He is the one guy who has always pulled these guys back together for tours. Um, Through that, absolutely. His name is Mickey Dolenz, and he was the drummer on the Monkees TV show, but he's not a drummer, and he yeah. will tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a good drummer. He's, um, yeah, he is not a drummer. Um he was born at Cedars of Lebanon Hospital in Los Angeles, California, the son to actor George Dolenz and Janelle Johnson. He has three sisters, Gemma Marie, Deborah, and Kathleen. Gemma's nickname, Coco, is shortened for is the shortened form of Coco Sunshine a nickname given to her as a child by Mickey. <laughs> Coco Sunshine, man. Coco sun Sunshine. Um, Zuzu Petals. Dolan suffered from... I don't want to talk about it. 
Dolan suffered from Perthus disease. I never heard of that. Uh, childhood hip disorder initiated by a disruption of blood flow to the head of the femur. Huh. Due to the lack of blood flow, the bone dies and stops growing over time. Healing occurs by new blood vessels infiltrating the dead bone and removing the necrotic. Okay. Funky. There you go. Um, but this was why he always had a limp. Mm. And you don't notice it as much in the television shows, but if you see him later on stage and different things like that, he, he's always got huh. a limp. Um, Dolan's started his showbiz career. Do you know how? He was on a he, he was in a TV series or a movie. Correct. I, TV um, series called Circus Boy. Circus Boy, yeah. Yep. Under the name Mickey Braddock. <laughs> he played Corky. An orphaned water boy who basically fed the elephants. No. Um, God, another one where I may have to name like five wives. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like a couple of them had a couple of. Uh, Dolan's originally had his own rock group called Mickey and the One Nighters in the early <laughs> 1960s with himself as the lead singer. He had already begun writing his own songs. His band's live stage act included rock songs, cover songs, and even some R&B. One of his favorite songs to sing was Chuck Berry's Giant Be Good. Hmm. Good tune. Very good, too. Hang on. My eye is bugging. Uh, in 1965, Dolan's was cast in the television sitcom The Monkees and became the drummer, even though he never drummed in his life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I got a question for you. Do sure. you know what other TV series he was seriously considered for? Uh, the Partridge family, wasn't it? Nope. What? Because of his over six foot tall height, he was too tall to play the Fonz on Happy Days. Oh. Yeah. Because he would have towered over all the other actors. He was seriously considered to play the Fonz, which I thought was fascinating. Well, Mr. Dolans uh, did not just spend all his time in the music world. 1967, he acted in a movie called Good Times Hmm. with Sonny and Cher. Interesting. 68 was head. Uh Uh-huh. 72, Night of the Strangler. Interesting. 75, Linda Lovelace for president. Oh, my God. (laughs) 75, (laughs) Keep Off My Grass. 
93 Deadfall. Uh, that was James Coburn, I think. Oh James, my God. James Coburn and Nicolas Cage. Uh, really? Yep. 1999 Invisible Mom. Seriously? Yep. Holy cow. 2001 Malpractice, he directed. Shit. 2007 Halloween. He was in Halloween. Yep. No kidding. And 2011 Mega Python versus Gatoroid. <laughs> but he spent the majority of his time, and I'll tell you, over 54 credits for television. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Uh, he was in Batman the Animated Series. Oh, cool. Uh, Boy Meets World. Yep, yep, we covered that, yep. Uh, difficult People. Uh, there, okay. There were some up here that I was really... He was in Canon. He was on hmm. Adam 12. Oh, wow. <laughs> My Three Sons. Holy crap. That's going back a couple of years. Ronan Martin's laughing. Laughing. Yeah, I think all of them showed up on laughing well, at one point in time. All, all of them starred as the monkeys. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. they were all in there. Uh, Zane Gray Theater. And if you don't know who Zane Gray was, that was a, a it was a variety show, basically. Yeah, I, I've heard of it. Yeah, absolutely. The Scooby Doo Show. He, well, yeah, he yeah. was the voice of Mamba Wamba and the Voodoo Hoodoo. <laughs> uh, Partridge Family twenty. Uh, 2200 AD. I think that was an animated thing. Yeah, that had to be an animated thing. Yeah. <laughs> Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids. No. No. He was the voice of Wally. Oh, no kidding. Yep. And uh, he was in the tick. Oh, wait, which one? 94 to 95 he was 13 episodes and he was the voice for arthur arthur clone and captain lemming oh that was the animated one that was a really yeah. good one yeah, yeah that was that was an awesome show uh the secret files of the spy dog i remember and, that and he was on the drew carey show oh god that's awesome <laughs> oh no oh no it gets even better. He <laughs> played a vicar on As the World Turns. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, his television career was huge. He was a director for mm -hmm. a lot of years, and I didn't even name off the credits for his directing. Well, he and Peter directed a couple of episodes of The Monkees. Yeah. Uh, Mickey penned the story for the series finale, the Frodus Capper, and Peter took the helm behind the scenes in the episode The Monkeys Mind Their Manor. Now, do you know what Mickey Dolenz did in 2019? 
No. Or I don't remember. He went out on a tour. He went out on a tour in celebration of the Beatles. It was their uh, uh, Beatles album. Uh, it was 50 years ago today. Or it was the White Album. Oh, gosh. Were, okay. They were honoring. But he played with Todd Rundgren. Ooh. Jason Chef. Okay. Christopher Cross. Oh. And Joey Molland. And they played, they went and played Beatles songs all across America. That's kind of cool. During the show, Dolan's would perform I'm a Believer and Pleasant Valley Sunday. (laughs) Uh, Dolan's has been married three times and is the father of four daughters in 19, four daughters in 1966. Oh, in 1967, while in the UK on tour with the Monkees, Dolan's mm-hmm. met future wife, Samantha Just, a co-presenter on BBC's Top Pops TV show. Top of the Pops. Yeah, shocker. They married in 68, and their daughter, Amy Bluebell Dolan's, was born. And you can look Amy Bluebell Dolan's up. She is an actress. Hmm. Dolan's and Just divorced in 1975, but remained close friends until her death of a stroke in February 5th, 2014. He married Trina Dow in 1977. The couple had three more daughters. Oh, my God. He is a girl machine. That, that would have been me if I hadn't got clipped. Uh, Charlotte Janelle, Emily Claire, and Georgia Rose. They divorced in 1991. Trina Dow Dolans has become a couples therapist, still using her married name. Dolans married his third wife in 2002. (laughs) Donna Quinter. They are actually still married. Um, Mickey Dolan's, that's kind of impressive, actually. Mickey Dolan's is still alive at this point in time, so I can't tell you his form of death or any of that stuff. Um, that's about it for Mickey Dolan's. Mickey Dolan's has been the glue of the monkeys. I have said this before earlier. Um, he has uh, stated in interviews that he has kept the monkeys going. And... Um, I totally believe that because there were several Mike Nesmith, Peter Tork, who left and were really kind of done with the monkeys. Yeah, I, I know that, that Tork, he had personal issues. He had alcohol issues. I know Nesmith was, was because he had a lot of career after the monkeys and had obligations he couldn't get away from. So, yeah, I absolutely I can see that. Um, okay, so I have a little tidbit about Mr. Dolan's that you didn't go over. Ooh, I'm right. He, he lived next door to Alice Cooper. The Alice Cooper. Oh, they played softball I didn't know together. That. They played softball together on Was a this team called in Arizona or uh... No, no, no. This is LA. 
They played softball together on a team called the Hollywood Vampires. This was a group that Alice Cooper was the president. The vice president was Keith Moon. Other members were John Lennon, Ringo Starr, Harry Nelson, and Mickey Dolenz. They would hang out at this bar in L.A. And, and to get into the group, you had to outdrink the group. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Mickey at one at one point in a radio interview had claimed that Charles Manson had auditioned for the Monkees. This was a falsehood. Uh, Stephen Stills, however, actually did audition for the Monkees. So. That's I think all the stuff I have about Mickey. Yeah, that's all the stuff I have about Mickey Dolan's in there. So, all right, sir. So now I get to talk about Mr. Mike Nesmith. Now, preface this: my my mom and I moved back to Akron in 1976. My baby daddy. Yeah. We uh, we were living with her mom and Ellet. We eventually got a little apartment over in West Akron in 1980 or something like that. We did not have a lot of money. She was a single mom. She was working midnights at a hospital. We did things like we would go to the downtown Akron library, find books, whatever, found a little corner in the Akron library and they had video cassettes that you could rent for free because it was the Akron library. And one of these happened. Uh, and then let me tell you, I listened to all of the Monty Python albums, Bob Newhart, all the old comedians, and everything. But I found a video because after we had enough money to get a VHS found this video cassette called elephant parts by michael nesmith and watched it and i was blown away i'll get there in a minute so anyway mr michael nesmith born robert michael nesmith on december 30th 1942 uh, an american musician songwriter and actor he was born in do you want to tell us where no tell me houston texas what a crap city (laughs) after his parents divorced uh, nesmith and his mother moved to dallas to be closer to her family what a great city (laughs) she took a temporary she took temporary jobs ranging from clerical work to graphic design uh, she eventually attained the position of executive secretary at the Texas Bank and Trust. Uh, when Nesmus was, was 13, his mother invented the typewriter correction fluid, later to be commercially known as liquid paper. Over the next 25 years, she built Liquid Paper Corporation into an international company, which she then sold to Gillette in 1979 for $48 million. And she actually died just a few months after that at the age of 56. Now, Nesmith attended the Tom Jefferson High School in Dallas, 
where he participated in choral and drum activities. But he enlisted in the U.S. Air Force in 1960 before graduating. Yeah, he completed his basic training at uh, Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. Trained as an aircraft mechanic at Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls and was permanently stationed at the Clinton Sherman Air Force Base near Burns Flats in Oklahoma. Obtained his GED certificate and was honorably discharged in 1962. Now, we had talked about people buying out their contracts. He was also one of the gentlemen who bought out his contract from Kirshner at $160,000 for his four years because he wanted the band to actually play actual instruments and write their own music. So after the breakup of the Monkees, Nesmith continued his successful songwriting and performing career. Uh, He was actually with a country rock group called the First National Band. Uh, They had a top 40 hit called Joanne, uh, what he did as a solo artist. He also founded uh, Pacific Arts, a multimedia production and distribution company in 74. Uh, It helped pioneer the music video format. He created one of the first American television programs dedicated to music videos called Pro Clips, which aired on Nickelodeon in 1980. He was asked to help produce and create MTV. Unfortunately, he had prior commitments with his production company. He gave them the rights to go do that. Um, And that became MTV. So Michael Nesmith is the great grandfather, the grandfather of MTV. He was the first person to win a Grammy award for video of the year. And this was for his hour-long television show called Elephant Parts. And by the way, he was also the executive producer on the film Repo Man in 1984. So, I have... I think this is the 138 Mark video. If you would play that for a I, I could be totally wrong. I'm, I'm getting a little... I'm drinking Wellers and, and, and ginger ale now, so I could be totally wrong. But go ahead and play that one clip at the 138 mark, if you would. Strangers to Australia. And it was right here that Mike Nesmith created a mm-hmm. fake news story that went viral. Did you or did you not so, make no. up a lie and tell an Australian Oh, did I ever? Journal? I hooked my eyeballs in uh, media veracity, which means, are these guys lying to us? Which was, You mean fake news? Well, and you can have it if you want to. I'm, I'm, I'm loath to repeat anything Trump says, but if you know, <laughs> there you are. And uh, <clears throat> so, when we sat down, he said, "Well, let, what would you like to talk about?" I said, "Well, I'm ta- happy to talk about anything you want to talk about, but I'm going to lie the whole time." <laughs> said, he said, "So, <clears throat> the monkey's very popular. How many records did you guys sell?" I went, ooh, 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 ooh. "I said, 35 million. That's the bigger. That's bigger than the Rolling Stones and the Beatles combined in 1963." He said, "Really? How many is it? 35 million?" And I thought, "I wonder how far this is going to make it in the media stream." Well, it turns out it's made it all the way to now. You know, you may not know this, but I'm 94 years old, and it made it all the way to now. 
and it's still out there. I did something similar on a radio show in Los Angeles in the early days when I was asked about who was who had auditioned for the monkeys. Oh, I love this story. And I was, uh, I was like, well, Stephen Stills, which is true. That's plausible. Stephen Stills did. He was. No, I know he did. Stephen Stills did. Paul Williams, the famous mm -hmm. singer songwriter. Plausible. And then I just straight faced, I said, and Charlie Mann. Yes! <laughs> 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 around town at the time. He was. He was singing and playing with, you know, the Mel Torres. With Dennis Wilson. <laughs> and uh, Charlie Mann. Yes! Straight face to this day. So anyway, they were they were they were full of piss and vinegar from day one, and it never left them, which is awesome. But Mike Nesmith made this this I don't even know how to describe it. I got this VHS. It was called Elephant Parts. It is based on the joke about three blind men trying to identify what animal they are th that is in front of them by touching the different parts of the elephant. That's where the joke comes from. But the few, the proud, the Marines. It's certainly not for everybody, but if you're out of school and ready for something special and a choice of over 100 career fields to choose from, today's Marines may be what you're looking for. You'll be part of a team on the job serving around the world. The challenge is great, but the reward is greater. If you think you're ready for a new kind of adventure, call your recruiter today and find out how you can become one of the few, the proud, the Marines. How was that? It was good for me. Was it good for you? Uh, we'll uh, we'll give you a call. Thank you. <laughs> this whole video, it was a vignette of comedy, a song, a vignette of comedy, a song. The hour-long video of this old stuff, and it's funny as hell because I remember hearing this one song on the radio and I had no clue that it was Mike Nesmith of the monkeys playing it. And that is uh, the Lucy and Ramona song. Do you have that lined up somewhere? Is that even the nicest neighborhood can be spoiled no. by neighbors. This is funny though. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I have Rio. I have Joan something and I have crew. Yeah, try that last one. Almost has a funk beat to it. Oh, uh, dude, th this song charted. I remember hearing this on the radio. It was a, it, 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 like, I was like, oh my God, that's the monkeys, dude, playing that. 
so like this this whole hour long VHS had these really cool songs and really cool videos. Like some of it was black plastic garbage bags that were shredded into small thin strips waving around with lights playing on them he did everything that you could do in the early 80s that didn't have anything to do with special effects to make it look cool they used some like blue screen background and stuff like that but it was just it was kind of amazing to watch that you could put a song and then watch this video story behind it it had never been done before it was it was yeah, obviously revolutionary and what started mtv it was it was pretty cool now rio is another song it i don't know if it charted or not but it was a really cool song and a really cool video i think you've got a bit of that on there somewhere too if you got that to play I'm hearing the light from the window I'm seeing the sound of the sea My feet have gone loose from their moorings I'm feeling quite wonderfully free And I think I will travel to Rio Using the music for flight there's nothing I know of in Rio, but it's something to do with the night. It's only a whimsical notion. Good yacht rock. Yeah. <laughs> Just sit on the back of the boat. Yeah, absolutely. Sip, sipping some rum. And then I think you've got one more comedy bit, and that's the uh, NSS bit, if you got that to play. Even the nicest neighborhood can be spoiled by neighbors. It's no good to complain. It will still go on day after day, week after week. At NNS, we know people are just no damn good. Are you mad? Are you really mad? Are you really, really mad? Then it's time for you to call us today and learn about NNS, Neighborhood Nuclear Superiority. Not an import, not an over-the-counter toy, or an unreliable terrorist imitation. The NNS system is made here in America by Americans for Americans. And by producing millions of them, we pass the savings on to you for any size target, from something as big as a city block to something as small as a doghouse. I called NNS, and they really helped by inflaming my natural paranoia and reinforcing my territorial imperative. And you know what? This tactical nuclear warhead just attached to my garden hose with ordinary hand tools. Oh, jeez. Well, you don't want to drop one of these babies. Thank you, folks at NNS. That's right. The courteous, helpful folks at NNS have the weapon that's right for your family. This offer not available in any store. Call today and learn more about this amazing system. Isn't there someone you know who deserves neighborhood nuclear superiority? Good shit. 
so wrong <laughs> on so many levels. There were so many good skits on that. There was there was the uh, name that drug game show where a druggie and a DEA agent were smoking, trying to figure out what they were smoking, and the DEA agent got so fucked up he fell over, passed out. Um, oh god, it, that if you can get your hands on a copy of that, it's well worth a watch. It's just so good, and it, it is. You can tell. It all came for the monkeys. Comedy bits, music, comedy bits, music. It was good stuff. So the monkeys, who outsold the Beatles. Well, that's <laughs> that's just it, man. It's like I was looking at the stats, and, and, and apparently they sold about 18 million albums. They may have outsold the Beatles at one point. And they may have kicked them off the charts, but they did not sell 35. Dude, I looked up, I don't know, 10 different websites, and they all claim the whole 35 million albums. And it's a total lie. To this day, it's a total lie. It's awesome. (laughs) And you gotta love Mickey Dolan's. Uh, (laughs) All right. I think we're at about the end of this yes yes we are um we got two little pieces of trivia but we can pick that up here in a second we do yeah what do you have that well actually i have one more um mtv because you know nesmith kind of made mtv mtv kind of gave back to nesmith in 1986, they aired a weekend marathon of the Monkees TV shows, which helped introduce them to a new generation. Um, they had found, because Davey, Peter, and Mickey were on a 20th anniversary tour, and it started with them playing theaters and ended with them playing in arenas because of MTV playing all those original shows again, so... Kudos to MTV. Gotta love the monkeys. (laughs) That's it. All I got. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. I know that this was three, four hours long. Oh, my God. It was a little bit much, but Um, yeah, it's good stuff. But I said we were going to deep dive into this, and, and I'm glad that we did. I hope you enjoy the monkeys. You can find their videos online. You can find their TV show online. Uh, buy their music. Mickey Dolan still has to feed a family. <laughs> a lot of them. He's the only one left, right? Yes, because uh, yeah, um, yeah, Nesmith passed away in twenty one. Or where to go? Yeah, he passed away in December tenth of twenty twenty one. So there's only one left. Bless you. I'm already yawning. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Davis and Davis show. Davisanddavisshow.com. We'll have all the information and links to the videos that we played tonight. Videos, reviews, and whatnot. And if you want some cool merch, please visit the Davisanddavisshow.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back next week. And next week, We are doing the...
Putin Bay special. Cool. We will have interviews that we did last year at the race. We'll have uh, stuff behind to go the and scenes s- stuff. Yeah. And we'll have a, a kind of a list of stuff of things to do when you are on Putin Bay Island. Our favorite yep. bars to go to, the favorite places to eat. We'll have a list. The All places right. that you don't want to be a pretentious asshole at that I visited. Wait. Where that was the martini bar. I was a douche. Oh, shit. <laughs> you were kind of a douche there. I was a total douche. <laughs> if I can find that poor guy, I'm going to give him a big old tip. Do you know what a dry martini is? Oh, God. God. You know, when when Bob Kanzel looks at you with the look and you go, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. If Bob's the one giving me the look, oh, man, I don't Uh, know. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back next week. We'll talk at you later. Have a good night. We'll see you later.